If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So Matthew 18 that we just heard gives us a step-by-step protocol for when someone in the church sins against you. Always follow this protocol. The end. (laughs) Sometimes we make it so complicated trying to understand the scriptures. The Lord is exceedingly plain as to how we should carry ourselves when someone sins against us. So as a matter of obedience, we just hear these words and do them. But also when we look at these words, we can see that the Lord is also showing us two ways in which um, we can fall into error in our relationships. Two ways that God would have us avoid. So on the one hand, there's the error of letting go of relationship too quickly. And on the other hand, there's the opposite error of never letting go of a relationship. So the front end of Jesus' teaching um, goes against the first error of letting go too quickly. When someone has wronged you, if you're anything like me, it can be very tempting to want to just cut that person off immediately. No second chances, no sympathy, they sinned against you, you're never talking to them again, period. Um, As well as being a, a petty form of vengeance, which we just heard from God in Romans chapter 12, never to take, it's really a failure of love to cut someone off right away. Love would seek reconciliation in the relationship. Love would endure the little bit of emotional stress that would come with that in order to show a brother or sister how they've erred so that they can flee from that error and run back to the path of life, the life of obeying God and and not sinning against him by sinning against you. So um, in a way, you could say that if we... Don't let go of a relationship right away. If we stay in relationship, even when we've been sinned against, we actually get the chance to be um, like Ezekiel the watchman to each other. right? Actually calling out, brother, you, you're on the wrong path here. right? Giving them a chance to see their own ways and to repent. Letting a spiritual sibling know that they are in fact in moral danger themselves for what they've done. As well, if we all cut ties with each other anytime we were sinned against, we'd be extremely lonely in short order, right? No, on the contrary, we should long for the offender to come to his or her senses and to be restored, not just to um, relationship with you, but to right living before God as well. That's why God commands us, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him, right? It's not, it's not, well, just walk away then, you know, make sure you immunize yourself from ever getting hurt by anybody. You know, go and tell them. Don't let go of the relationship immediately. Now, at this point, I want to also make a distinction between the forgiveness that God commands us to give um, from this relationship work that Matthew 18 details. It's not an accident that immediately following these verses in Matthew 18 is the famous story when Jesus says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Even seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, right? 490. Forgiveness, which is letting go in the heart of the grievance that you have, letting it go. Forgiveness in your own heart stands prior to and independent of the relationship work of confronting 
your brother or sister. We forgive others in our hearts, actually also not even for your brother or sister's sake, you, for God's sake. Right? That, that, I mean, this is habit into us in the Our Father. We forgive others um, as we've been forgiven. I know that's not the phrasing of the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, and what you'll find too is that approaching your brother to confront with you've sinned against me has a much higher success rate of restoring the relationship if you've already turned the corner on forgiveness in your own heart. If you come at it having not forgiven, it's unlikely that your brother or sister is going to respond well to your confrontation. But forgiving someone 490 times, um, it doesn't, that's, that's not a synonym for giving them 490 opportunities to restore the relationship. They're different things. On the contrary, that would actually be the opposite error, which I think the Lord is warning us against, of never letting go of a relationship. Jesus instead tells us, if they don't listen to you, in, in, so independent, you've already are doing the work with God of forgiving the person. You're following the Matthew 18 protocol. You've gone to them one-on-one, -on -one, and let's say they haven't repented. Well, then Jesus says, well, grab a friend or two and bring it up again. And if that doesn't work, well, then bring it to the church. Ordinarily, that means involving the priest or pastor, even sometimes the bishop. And if the brother or sister will still not relent, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's strong words, right? In today's terms, not your friend. Right? The Gentiles and the tax collectors were not friends to Jews whom Jesus is and is speaking to. Not someone you trust as an insider to your life. Now, but here, a really important clarification needs to be made. Just because they aren't your friend anymore and you don't trust them with yourself or your means or your emotions, that doesn't mean they're not still your neighbor. Jesus isn't saying, well, if you did everything, well, now you can have a blood grudge, right? They're still your neighbor. You still have, there's still a debt. To, you still owe them mercy. Right? The Good Samaritan parable still applies. If they're in need, you should still help them the way you would help an enemy. It just means they're not your confidant. You don't rely on them. Jesus says that you can cling to a relationship too tightly. There may come a point where the relationship should be functionally brought to an end. Um, this is really a hard pill to swallow for those of us who really want to be liked. Right? The impulse is like, no, no, I'm going to stay in this relationship. We're going to get this right. We're going to get this right. I should say, well, no, I tried. You followed the Math 80 protocol. You don't see that there was a mistake made? Okay, well, then I can't trust you with my heart anymore. We're not friends in any real way. Also, if you struggle with people-pleasing, same thing. If um, the first part of the Matthew 18 protocol guides us away from letting go too quickly, the last part of the Matthew 18 protocol, treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile, um, pushes against people-pleasing or just wanting to be liked. And we should receive uh, both of these uh, guidances as God's own wisdom for our relationships. Again, to reiterate, in either case, um, it's still paramount that we forgive the person who's offended us. That's a standing order from our Lord and never gets abrogated. There's never a situation that you could possibly be in where God isn't commanding us to forgive those who've hurt us. But that's not a synonym for never letting go of the relationship. Lastly, I want to say, I didn't realize until preparing for this Sunday, um, 
the, the you here, when Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector, I think I'd always thought that that was plural, um, in the sense of that this was like the Amish shun thing. Do you remember? I'm thinking of that scene from The Office with Dwight, with the shun and unshun. I don't know if that's a cultural reference that lands or not. But, um, but this idea that as if, as if, well, then they're shunned from the community. No, that's actually not what Jesus is saying. The you here in Jesus' in the gospel is singular. It's not that the person who doesn't see their fault will then gets banished from the church. It just means your individual relationship with them is broken. They're not shunned. The individual relationship is broken, and here I want to end uh, this, this last idea. It's broken for now. I think that adding that phrase onto any narrative for now is a very Christian way of conceiving of our stories and our lives. That um, the story isn't over yet. Right? That's how it is now. It might become otherwise. Among, I think, the reasons that the Lord guides us to good relational boundaries. That's what this is, really. Good relational boundaries. Is that there remains hope that maybe in cutting someone off from the gift of your friendship might over time soften their heart and lead them eventually to repent. Um, actually, I just think of this. I had a friend who, let's see, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, hurt me bitterly. I mean, like, I was weeping. It, it just really, like, the deep stab in the back. And um, obviously, I, I, well, actually, I followed Matthew. You know, brought, uh, tried to confront him. Didn't work. Tried to confront brought a friend, it didn't work. Um, I, was in, I was, it was in seminary, so we had sort of the church around. There was no way to get reconciliation, so the friendship was over, and I grieved over that. Um, and about, let's see, six months ago, this friend called me out of the blue and said, I was a big jerk in seminary. I'm so sorry. I don't even remember what we fought over, but I know that I didn't treat you right. And I was like, wow. <laughs> there you go. I, I kind of teared up a little. I was like, I forgive you. Thank you. I've already been working on forgiving you in my heart, but it's so great to be able to say it. And now I've kind of restruck up a friendship with this guy. It was a seven-year hiatus, but um, it's encouraging to see that it, the story is always just for now. For the record, I was not a saint to, towards him either. I also had to apologize, just in case he ever listens to this sermon. <laughs> um, if a brother does eventually repent, in almost every case, and here I just want to put a small caveat because each of you probably will counsel a friend at some point in this situation, tragically, there's a small ca caveat for abusive marriages, right? The, the, the sort of classic dark cycle of abuse is, oh, this time I'll never do it again, right? and it's not true. Um, so caveat for abusive marriages, but outside of that caveat, relationships can be restored. That's the great hope in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's the great goal of all things, right? Reconciliation perhaps one of the best synonyms we have for the gospel message, reconciliation. What was broken and not reconciled has been reconciled. Our lives are not over until they're over. Uh, as long as anyone is breathing, there remains the hope that they might repent, which means there's a hope of reconciliation. The hardest place to hold on to this truth, of course, is in your family, most often. That relative for whom there's a long, long thing. There's hope for reconciliation upon repentance. I, it's, I believe God hopes for it because he wills that all would come to himself, which means would stop walking in the way of wickedness and would turn to the path of life. If God hopes for it, we should too. 
but we hope for that behind the safety of a good relational boundary, right? You see how they're, they're two separate things. It's like, no, I, I will not be this person's friend. But even from this safe place where they can't just keep hurting me in this way, and I, I'm not enabling their sinfulness, nevertheless, I still hope that they would repent. And we could have be able to be friends once again. Amen.